0: On this episode of the podcast, I have Dan Simon. He is the VP of Engineering at Qventus, And we're going to be talking about decisions as a bridge between ideation and execution. That's actually Dan's quote. And I liked it so much that we're going to title this episode that exactly. And I think Dan's actually got a great view. He talks about how he does planning and operational excellence as a part of this process. I'm excited to have him on and talk about the subject. Dan, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, Amir. Absolutely. So if you could help us with understanding a little bit of your responsibility as the VP of Engineering and then also telling us what Qventus does. Sure. Uh, So as
1: VP of Engineering at Qventus, I manage everything from uh, operational side of of, uh, engineering all the way through to actually compliance as well. So covering uh, hiring personnel, planning, decision making, and uh, the like. And in terms of what Qventus does, we're a healthcare operations company focused on reducing length of stay and, and driving more operational efficiency within hospitals. So when we're successful, patients get out more efficiently, doctors able to see more patients, and hospitals able to serve more patients.
0: I love the mission. So let's start at the top, and I'm going to use your quote, the title of the episode being decisions as a bridge between ideation and execution. Let's start there and kind of work backwards. So what does that mean to you? I mean, I think it's, it could mean different things to different people, but for you, what does that bridge exactly entail?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So ideas are easy. I mean, John Darwin said, ideas are easy, execution is everything. And so when execution doesn't follow a good idea, it really becomes, you know, little more than an academic thought exercise. So what's really important is trying to figure out how to bridge those two. So decision-making I found is always key in understanding how to bridge those two because first you have to be able to validate, is the idea even worthwhile, um, you know, evaluating? And beyond that, you know, if one decides that it is, it's really important to understand who's going to own it, how it's going to follow up in terms of execution. And there's a bunch of other ways that decomposes.
0: Awesome. And I guess, you know, I ask engineering managers this question, you know, here and then I'm always kind of curious because obviously somebody on the team might have a great idea and they come to you and they're like, hey, I think this technology is great. Or have you thought about this? Or what about that? And with your philosophy in mind, when you get those requests where do you take them? How do you start looking at something where somebody brings it to you and you're like, well, this could be interesting, but...
1: Yeah, no, definitely. So funny enough, we end up just thinking of it in terms of a decision tree. What kind of decision needs to be made? Where does this idea fit? Is it operational? Is it technical? Is it something to do with personnel? So for example, maybe it's something around how we communicate or how we document or don't document well. So once you figure out which bucket that falls into, then it's really about decomposing it beyond that. So if you were to imagine a decision tree where, let's say you have a suggestion around the operational side of how engineering works or even any function. That could decompose into, you know, let's say, a support type of suggestion, maybe how we handle incoming customer issues. Beyond support, it could be, is it an external-facing uh, type of issue or is it an internal-facing type, uh, type of issue? And as you kind of decompose it, what you eventually start to realize is that once you hit a node or like the right node in that tree, you need to figure out who's really going to own it. But ownership isn't a singular function. In fact, it actually breaks down beyond that into multiple types of ownership. And this is where I found that thinking about my experience in the compliance side really comes in handy. So in compliance, this is a concept of, of RACI, responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. So for every decision, there are multiple parties involved. The responsible party is responsible to make sure that, uh, typically, that whatever is being decided is going to get executed. But the accountable party is the singular party, an individual, or let's say a team, who is accountable to make sure that the following on the decision actually comes to fruition. Similarly, then you also have the consulted party and the informed party. Difference being between those two, that consulted typically requires some form of acknowledgement or feedback, whereas informed is just one-way communication. But understanding once you reach that leaf node in that decision tree, who is going to be accountable and who's going to be responsible is really important in figuring out what you do with that decision. The accountable party, for example, will likely make the decision, given you a bunch of different input and any other process they're typically taking into account. Beyond that, you then have to start thinking about governance. So once you have a decision, once you've identified all those parties, how are you actually going to track that decision through to execution? That's why I typically think of decisions as kind of being that bridge between ideation and execution. Something has to connect the two, and at the end of the day, the question always becomes, how do you actually get through to execution and follow up on it?
0: Hmm. Interesting. One thing that was, uh, you know, that you mentioned, obviously, you know, when you're talking about, you know, bringing some of this from your compliance side, when you're trying to balance, I guess, the speed side of things. So sometimes speed is of the essence, and it kind of does throw a wrinkle in the step between ideation and execution. How do you have to balance that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think mean, it's it, you then have to start thinking about ROI. So in theory, you could throw every resource available to you, being, you know, people systems, et cetera, at our problem, right? At an idea to actually uh, drive faster execution. But balancing that with all the other priorities that a team manages is really important. So going back to decisioning as that bridge and thinking about as a decision tree, you have to be able to then understand, like, how do you weight the value of a decision in that tree? And therefore, like, what are the resources you can allocate to it? This is where it gets really tricky. And obviously, it's very dependent on the organization itself. Ideally, like on the engineering side, for example, you're able to bridge that back out or connect it back out to the core business value. So it's not always possible. So for example, if you're upgrading you know, a library, like a Python library, or even like for us, you know, moving from Python 2 to Python 3, that's not necessarily something that a customer is going to pay us for. But we still have to make best level effort to bridge that back to the business and understand the ROI and the value. And therefore, try to figure out how fast, to, you know, can we and should we go? with respect to the decisions that we're making here.
0: I think what's uh, interesting about that ROI is i guess depending on where you sit in that decision making hierarchy, your visibility in terms of the impact of that ROI is always, you know, kind of diminished you know, based on your purview and you know maybe your manager and what they can see. When you're talking to somebody who has, hey, you know an idea, you know sounds good, they go do due diligence. How much do they need to know outside of, you know what they're trying to focus on, if it is even operational or it's technical, because obviously they may not be privy to some of the other components. You know, do you have to sit down and kind of help them understand those areas so that they can you know, see full circle? Or is that something you take on and, and you run with? Because obviously you, you see more as the VP of engineering.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a question of context, right? How much context does someone reasonably need to be able to make uh, different types of decisions? The answer is always going to be as much as we can possibly give them. I mean, decisions are best made by those folks closest to the problem. That being said, decisions can't be made absent of context. So what I found helpful and I think really important is to take every opportunity to reinforce as much macro level context as possible. So at least folks understand the lay of the land. As an example, when we start to think about budget for the following quarter, the following year and when we're planning, I try to pull in as many folks from different parts of the organization, uh, different individual contributors and different teams in addition to management, even partners in other functions like our customer success group. And um, with the intent of trying to build macro level context uh, cross-functionally, understand how much do we need to reasonably be able to need to be able to scale in the coming year? And then therefore, how much should we be budgeting for? How much is each customer gonna grow? What does that mean in terms of uh, infrastructure costs, et cetera, et cetera? And so ultimately in that example, what I'd want to be able to do is go to each subfunction function with engineering and essentially give them enough freedom to think of their area in terms of, you know, functional p Like, how much do you need to spend to be able to support your side of engineering? There's always going to be checks and balances, but ultimately, you know, taking every opportunity to provide as much context as possible is important. Now, I think what's important as a follow-on to that is making sure that context persists, doesn't get lost. It's very expensive to build context into the ether. And this is where, you know, communication strategies and uh, the like are really important to make sure that we can memorialize that context and then disseminate it even further. So as an example, I publish a newsletter within the company, actually, every two weeks. And within that newsletter, I pull in different groups. So there's a, there's a customer success section where they fill in context like wins, losses, and, you know, what's happening over the next month for you know, our customers. Similarly, like our DevOps manager does the same thing. And so we memorialize context there, and then you know try to communicate it and repeat it in different ways to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to pull as much context. And when we do finally, you know, reach those decisioning points, hopefully, you know, they've been able to absorb
0: enough. Interesting. I'm just curious about the newsletter. When you decided to start publishing that, in the essence of sharing, was there an original thought behind it, or did it kind of evolve into what it is now?
1: It's always evolving. The original idea was I just wanted to make sure that. uh, you know engineering was being held accountable while also being able to deliver context and set expectations of like what's coming down the line and then how are things going so that people can ask questions proactively make sure that you know various uh, stakeholders have what they need that since evolved to include like i said that customer success portion there's a section on like sales like what's coming down the line you new know, new prospects new potential deals and there's actually an editorial section now we publish every 2 weeks and it's basically like an internal blog post which you know, has different editorial contributors between myself and you know, much of the engineering leadership team, and we just try to tackle you know subjects that aren't typically necessarily um, you know tackled in a day to day setting within engineering.
0: Interesting. How much, um, I guess, your direct reports? I mean, you have a very balanced view of decision making, very much logic based. You can see the reason behind how you approach things when you're looking at your direct reports and how you want them to make decisions? Is it kind of helping them understand like an ideal framework or working with their decision-making process? How do you balance the two potentially?
1: The the framework is typically where I uh, hand off. I think it's important to give folks enough rope to work with. Not too much to where they hang themselves, but enough to where they can figure out what works for them. And this kind of coming back to just the general frameworks in which decisions are made, there's uh, on the execution side, there's multiple frameworks that folks use. A lot of them are agile-based, you know, agile, scrum, Kanban, et cetera. And different teams, you know, deploy those in different ways depending on the type of work that they do. So for example, data science works very differently than an applications team. Their cycles are very different. Their operational modes are very different. And so trying to force not only, you know, a decision-making framework on top of that, but, you know, trying to be too prescriptive, I think becomes stifling. And when you let teams really explore this framework and figure out how to leverage it in a way that is more conducive to them you know, working well and efficiently. I actually find I learn a lot. If anything, it influences coming back up the chain.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you know, something was you know, just popped into my head because you have a unique role at like Cuventus, You know, VP of Engineering. You also you know manage the information security side. These are sometimes two con- not conflicting but two partnering hats, right? Maybe. Uh, different views of what needs to be done. How do you balance your decisions when it comes to, you know, being able to switch those two hats and making sure, obviously, your compliance mindset, you know, is obviously the company needs that, you know, type one, type two. That is, you know, frameworks that are established. And then you have VP engineering, you have to help, you know, the roadmap creating new technology. How do you balance the two?
1: That's a great question. So there's a lot of overlap, right? Both require, you know, clear lines of ownership and governance. So it's actually nice, like I said, that I've had the opportunity to kind of mesh, you know, or at least take learnings from, especially from the compliance side into the engineering side. But I think it's important when there is conflict to understand, you know, what's the north star? What are we actually trying to achieve? And so, first and foremost, uh, security is of the utmost importance, especially in healthcare. Right? PHI is a very valuable resource and a valuable asset, and um, it is one that we, you know, have to protect at all costs. So. When there, for example, is a decision that is being made that has security implications, first question is, you know, what do we need to do to make sure that we're doing this in a secure manner? Beyond that, it's about making sure that anything that we do within engineering generates an audit trail so that we can apply governance. So what's interesting is when I'm going through audits every year, and we're coming up in our fourth year now, so recertifying in our SOC two, there's uh, always a section of it uh, where we have to demonstrate that change control, change management, that. Anything that made its way into production went through the appropriate checks and balances that it reviewed, et cetera, et cetera. And that is made much easier when engineering operations are reflective of that. So as a concrete example, when um, any work that we're going to do has to be defined in a JIRA ticket. Every JIRA ticket is managed through appropriate workflow. So for example, there's an explicit QA step, there's an explicit code review step. And in fact, no work can be done without an appropriate uh, GitHub pull request. And that pull request is required to have at least one reviewer. When we pull all of this together come compliance time, we're able to demonstrate you know, change control in a very discreet manner. And uh, that definitely kind of helps bridge the two worlds. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of overlap there. If anything, one helps the other.
0: Interesting. Having both roles in one is kind of, uh, I guess, a benefit because obviously you can kind of understand how that partnership works. I think, obviously, when you have a devoted CISO and VP of engineering, there needs to be, you know, two people working towards a similar goal, but uh, very interesting. And when it comes to, obviously, you know, healthcare data and and whatnot, obviously different complications. I guess getting back to, you know, decision-making and, you know, kind of helping teams understand the objectives that they're trying to drive to, right? Some of those decisions are leading you there, some are not. How do you work with you know the engineering team to help them understand translating that objective of what the company is trying to do to maybe potentially an idea somebody has or you know a thought that you know they could help improve the company.
1: I mean, start some planning. So um, I have a really great partner in products, and my counterpart in VP of Product, Jeff. We work really closely together to you know plan every quarter and obviously on an annual basis. And uh, the quarterly planning process is all encompassing. It takes into account feedback from customers, from market, from Internal stakeholders, you know, customer success, sales, etc., and um, it also pulls in a lot of folks from R and D. So we have leads participating, we have managers, all product managers, etc. And uh, what that does is, it's a great way to build context. We basically go in with the intent of coming out with a fully funded roadmap. And what that means is that all ideas that are put forth, things that are going to go into the roadmap for the next quarter, are vetted to make sure that um, there is value. We make sure that all dependencies are tracked and accounted for. And ultimately what comes out is a roadmap and actually a roadshow that we do where we go through and we present it to all folks in the company, all the different functions. But given that uh, it's inclusive of you know, those folks in engineering that are going to be ultimately executing, you know they have firsthand knowledge and input into the decisions that have been made there. So when it comes time, you know, when a new idea does come through, you know, there are you know, multiple folks, you know, relatively close to the idea who already have that context and are able to, you know, make an informed decisions around, you know, that idea.
0: Awesome, man. I think you've got a, an interesting view on, you know, how decisions are made. And not only that, I think people who are probably working for you understand the framework of when you bring an idea. Because I think the one thing that always is, you know, I heard, you know, working for different managers is that's a great idea but what, and I think you mentioned that bridge between ideation and execution. I really enjoyed your perspectives. And if someone has something that they want to follow up with you on, you know, regarding what you've talked about in the podcast, what's a good avenue to hit you up Is LinkedIn ideal. Is there another place that you'd prefer?
1: Uh, LinkedIn is great. Yeah, definitely. I'm very active there. So yeah, definitely hit me up on
0: LinkedIn. We'll include your um, LinkedIn in the show notes. Appreciate you being on the podcast. And, um, that wraps up this episode for today. We'll be back again with a different guest, different topic, and I always ask for two things. One is if you have any ideas about topics that you want me to cover, LinkedIn's a great place to hit me up to provide those. I'm, I'm always looking for more. And the other is, you know, if you can share the podcast and uh, you know, the more subscriptions are just driving the growth. It's been really interesting. And I can't thank you guys enough. So until next time, thanks.